So it started in 1 Kings with King David is going to end. Well, if you've read ahead, you'll see, you know. Uh, verse 1, now three years passed without war between Syria and Israel. Remember the last battle? The Lord directed Ahab to where they killed 127,000 Syrians. They killed 100,000 in the battlefield. The walls fell on the 27,000. And remember Ahab failed by letting their king go? Well, it's been three years. So it seems that Ahab's battle plan brought some peace, but... It was also, if you remember, it was supposed to bring back a return of some Jewish cities to Israel that Ahab negotiated with the enemy. Apparently that didn't happen. Then it came to pass in the third year that Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went down to visit the king of Israel. Now, why would you do that? I have no idea. Certainly do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good character comes to mind. And I understand we all have choice. But why would you want to go visit Ahab? Remember 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 30? You might want to look back there. That's who Jehoshaphat goes and meets with. Now Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. So was Jehoshaphat up there ministering to him, seeking to influence him? I don't see any. I don't see any of that. So why would you, a good king serving God, go visit an evil king serving the devil? Yeah, you're Jewish brothers, but why would you compromise in such a way? I mean, who's going to influence who here? Well, if you do a little investigative reporting, Second Chronicles chapter 21 is one answer. And yet, if you fast forward to 2 Chronicles chapter 18, verse 1, you will also receive another answer that says this. Jehoshaphat had riches and honor in abundance, and by marriage he allied himself with Ahab. So Jehoshaphat's son, Jerome, married Ahab's daughter through a common practice at, during the world at that time. Not a common practice for God's people, though. And yes, Ahab's daughter is God's people. But would you sanction that? If you're the patriarch of your family, would you sanction your son marrying Jezebel's daughter? Because it's not like they just went out and did it, like maybe we might today. Oh, no, it had to have Jehoshaphat's stamp of approval on it. And, and even like it says here, if you made the trip to Second Chronicles 18.1, Jeho Jehoshaphat had riches and honor in abundance and by marriage he allied himself, allied himself. Obviously creates a little security from Ahab. I mean, what man would go up and want to kill his daughter or attack his grandkids? I don't know if that's what he's thinking here. Maybe Jehoshaphat's helping God out a little bit. Like I said, it was a common practice, but why would you take your son and have him marry the devil's daughter? That's certainly beyond me when Jehoshaphat had to have allowed that, or he's the one that made it happen. Verse 3, And the king of Israel said to his servants, Do you know that Ramoth in Gilead is ours? You know that city that was promised back to us? You know when we showed mercy to that king in Syria? He said he was going to give us all those cities back. 
But we hesitate to take it out of the hand of the king of Syria. Obviously, he didn't give it back. So he said to Jehoshaphat, will you go with me to fight at Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. And logistically, I guess, and mileage-wise, I could see that. Ramoth Gilead was close both to the northern tribes of Israel as well as the south. And so I could see why they would both agree, but Somewhere along the journey, I would think that I would have just jumped ship and trusted the Lord. And I think if you haven't read ahead that when we get done, you will agree that you would have done the same thing. So Ahab, the wicked king, starts to prepare for battle in his way. And Jehoshaphat, a man who's, for the most part, has been living like uh, David did, seeking just the Lord, starts to prepare, but not quite the same way. Verse 5, also Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Please inquire for the word of the Lord today. Okay, that's, that's what a Joseph wants to find out. Hey, let's see, let, I want to know what God thinks. Well, this is Ahab's way of doing that, consulting false prophets. And the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to fight or shall I refrain? So they said, go up. For the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. Remember who these prophets were? You'd have to remember back a few chapters. Remember when Jeroboam instituted this whole thing up in the north? Anybody could be a king or a prophet. So these are the like the mail order prophets and priests. If you wanted to be one, you're in. And they have a great job here. Please notice that of speaking lies that other people want to hear. That's what they're doing. Hey, go up, King Ahab. Go up, King Ahab. Hey, the Lord's going to deliver the, you know, the king of Syria into your hands. Well, hey, what happens if the Lord actually does give Ahab the victory? What happens? False prophets were true. What happens if the Lord destroys northern Israel and kills Ahab in this battle? Nothing if he's dead. Hard to come back and say to the false prophets, hey, you lied to me if you're dead. So they got a great thing going for them. Hey, just give them positive things, and if it works out, good for us. And if it doesn't, well, they're going to die anyway. They, nobody will even remember the word to them. That stuff kind of goes on today. Please notice in verse 7 that Jehoshaphat knows the difference between the true and false prophets. And Jehoshaphat said, is there not still a prophet of the Lord that's here, that we may inquire of him. But didn't Ahab just consult with the prophets, Jehoshaphat? Not, not from Jehoshaphat's perspective. Please observe the difference between what Ahab presented and what Jehoshaphat is asking for. Ahab has prophets, and Jehoshaphat has prophets of the Lord. Man, big difference. Anybody can speak things what people want to hear today. But it takes a man of God filled with the Spirit of God, or it takes a woman of God filled with the Spirit of God to speak the truth today. Verse 8, main point number one coming up. So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there is still one man, Micaiah, the son of Imlah, by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. Actually, he hates his message, okay? We need to understand that. 
he, he may think he hates him, but he really hates his message. If, if he told him the things he wanted to hear, he would love him. So it's not the person, it's the message. I hate him. Because, and here's why. Because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. Yeah, that's right, Ahab, because you are evil. So in other words, the, in other words, Micaiah, if you go to the doctor and you're really sick, he's going to tell you the truth. Where Ahab's guys, you know, they, they tell you, oh, yeah, you're looking great. The reality is you got less than a week to live. Oh, you're looking really good there. I'm feeling a little run down. Oh, no, here, drink some energy booster. So here's the main point here. As Jehoshaphat had said, look, let not the king say such things. Main point number one is, if you speak the truth, the world will hate you. Let's just kind of get that out in the open. Ahab hates the message and is bound and determined to take it out on the messenger. That has not changed down through the ages. And church, we got to be honest here. False prophets won't like you. Religious people will hate you. Ungodly people won't like you. And Christians in these last days caught up in the Babylonian system absolutely will not understand you. But that's okay because Jesus loves you. God loves you. So don't stress out about it. Just know that some people you're going to offend. So don't seek to be a people pleaser, but be a God pleaser. And keep in mind, it is the message that causes them to hate you. No one hates me. I want to go read 2 Timothy, what is it, chapter 3, verse 12 or something? Yes, and all those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So there's got to be someone that's kind of ticked off at you somewhere. I think if we're living it right, if we're speaking it, if we're living it, if you want everybody to like you, then you'll tell them what they want to hear. But God has called each one of us today in these last days to proclaim the truth. Some are going to dismiss it. Some aren't going to like it. Some aren't going to like you. Then the king of Israel, verse 9, called an officer and said, bring Micaiah, the son of Imlach, quickly. And if you go look in the book of Chronicles, that's bring him out of the prison. And the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, having put on their robes, sat each on his throne at a threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. So, you know, they're going to kind of give evidence there. That's where the business would take place in the gates and all the prophesied all the prophets prophesied before them how many of them are there 400 man that's a show of religion right there 400 and here you come do you think he's dressed very well in his prison think he's well fed there and so here he comes is he still in shackles he might be now zedekiah the son of yeah, that dude had made horns of iron for himself. So a little object lesson, if you will. And he said, thus says the Lord, with these you shall gore the Syrians until they're destroyed. Wow, 400 guys backing him up. Tell me what you want to hear and I'll tell you. Now, if Ahab gets gored by the Syrians, is he going to be able to come back to this Zedekiah dude and say you're wrong? Nope. So you might want to underline this, though. Thus says the Lord. That's what he says here. Thus says the Lord, with these you shall gore the Syrians. Hey, with these, Ahab, you are going to utterly decimate the Syrians. Hey, what, what's Zedekiah doing here? Look in your Bibles, verse 1. What's he doing? 
What's he doing here? Is it not verse 11? I write that down wrong. What's he doing? Well, yeah. What else? He's lying to him. He's also, I think, blaspheming because he's saying, thus says the Lord and the Lord hasn't spoken. So here's a man representing God to the people and he is flat out lying and he's lying in the name of God. I mean, how is that possible? And he has his 400 prophets back beside him, backing him up. And all the prophets prophesied so, saying, go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper for the Lord will deliver it into the king's hands. Man, it sounds convincing, doesn't it? Then the messenger had gone to call Micaiah, main point never two, never compromise who you are ever, spoke to him saying, you know, it doesn't mean not, we're all going to sin. No, no, I'm not talking about that. But never compromise who you are as a believer. Ever. Well, you're a Christian. Well, you know. We should never be embarrassed about that. I remember when they would come knocking on my door. Hey, you want to go partying? And I'd say, hey, look, I'm going to Jesus. And if you want to come with me, I would be more than happy to, with, to take you with them. They would never come back again. But I know people that would say, well, you know, I'm kind of busy tonight. You know what you do when you do that? You leave the door open for them to come back, the devil to come back and say, hey, why don't you come with us? We'll drag you back into your old sin life. Never compromise that. Main point number two. So the messenger who had gone to call Micaiah spoke to him, saying, Now listen, the words of the prophets with one accord encourage the king. Please let your, Lord, let your word be like one of them and speak encouragement. Make sure it's positive, happy-go-lucky words. That's what the false prophets have all proclaimed. And Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, whatever the Lord says to me, that I will speak. And it's so critical in our day and age team, no hint of compromise ever in what we're asked to. And this is how we all, we've all got to live here. Whatever the Holy Spirit speaks to me, that's how I got to speak. As Micaiah, the son of Imlah, holds his ground here. Then he came to the king and the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or shall we refrain? And now we have no audio and that's the problem here. And he answered him, go and prosper for the Lord will deliver it into your hand. I don't think that's what he said. I think he said it sarcastically and uh, mockingly. I mean, he said it in a way that Ahab realized he wasn't sincere in telling him the truth. Look at verse 16. So the king said to him, how many times shall I make you swear that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? He wasn't lying to him. No, he was mocking them all. Look at verse three, main point number three, not verse three, main point number three. Then he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, did I not tell you? He would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. So please take notice of main point number three, that the true man of God stands apart and oftentimes stands 
alone. Or in this case, it's a 400 to 1 ratio. And for the record, Micaiah is not just prophesying evil against Ahab. He's prophesying truth. Ahab was the one who was evil and he can't handle the truth. Then Micaiah said, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne. I mean, how bold would that make you in the face of 400 false prophets if you had just seen a vision of the Lord sitting on his throne as they grabbed you from the prison? Certainly God is more than able to do that. No doubt God knew what was coming for his man, Micaiah. And so God says, here, I'm going to give you this vision. And boom, he's standing there before all these false prophets. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing by on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, as we get an incredible look into heaven here, who will persuade Ahab to go up that he may fall at Ramoth Gilead? You might underline that he may fall. That's God's plan here. It's time for Ahab to go. He's been judged and he's been found guilty. Verse 20 again, as we get a look into the spiritual realm in heaven. Okay, so so God, they're, they're having a, I don't know, I mean, I, I don't even know what to make of this. They're having a little council meeting here. God's saying, hey, I got a slight issue here. I got to take out Ahab. Who wants to, I need a little help taking him out. I mean, I don't, you can look, I mean, it's here. You got to deal with it. So one spoke in this manner and another spoke in that manner. Then a spirit came forward. And as I look at this, our God, who's a God of love, could not speak anything evil. So he's just looking for some, Evil. He's waiting them out. Because look what happens. One spoke this way, another spoke that way. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. The Lord said to him, in what way? So he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all of his prophets. As we see a fallen angel, also known as a demon, volunteering for an assignment. And God works that way. I mean, we're see, we saw that as we went through the book of Revelation, 20 chapters worth. Because in 21 and chapters 21 and 22, we won't see any of that. It's, all that stuff's been cast into the lake of fire. But here it is. That, I mean, this is about as detailed out as a picture as you'll ever get. And the Lord who's seeking Ahab's life for all the evil he's done, allows Satan and his fallen angels to offer choice who indirectly work for God. This is about as great as a picture of it ever gets. And you're going to tell me this is all figurative, like people believe today? This is crazy. Because if this is figurative, then we have to wipe out this whole chapter. Well, well then we have to wipe out the whole book of First Kings because, hey, if there's one problem in it, next thing you know, you're just wiping out great volumes of the Bible. No, it's, it is what it says. The Lord shall, said, you shall persuade him. Why? Because he's God Almighty. He knows everything. You shall persuade him and you shall also prevail. Why? Because God knows all things. Go out. And do so, as they indirectly work for God. Therefore, look, main point number four. The Lord has put a lion spirit in the mouth of all these prophets of yours, and the Lord has declared disaster against you. I mean, from these verses, we get some great insight into how these things work in the spiritual realm, but we also should be able to see the huge warning side here. See those first two words in verse 23? Therefore, look. Let's not miss that, team. The Lord is giving Ahab what he wants. Ahab does not want the truth that Micaiah, the son of Imlah, offers. And the Lord God knows that. He wants lies. 
So God gives him what he wants, and he allows his transaction to take place in heaven, and ultimately it'll take place on earth, and it'll take Ahab down. And we certainly know the Lord allowed this lying spirit to be in their mouths, because Ahab and northern Israel's hearts are evil. They have no desire to seek after God. They're serving the various gods and idols. They got their golden cows all set up, and they're living for themselves. They're, they're, they're killing babies on the brazen altars. They have no desire for the truth, so God just gives them what they want. We need to be careful here. Because the main point number four is sometimes God will just give people what they want. False teachers on radio, false teachers on TV, false teachers in churches, false teachers in ministries, giving people what they want. I mean, I, I, honestly, I don't know. Maybe people know something that I don't know. But I don't know how people moving out here from Calvary Chapel end up at Lakewood. I'm sure he'd be a great guy to go to lunch with. But theologically, I, I don't know. Someone's going to help me understand that. I mean, it's already been written. For the time will come when they, when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they'll turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. That's what it's going to be like in the last days. We're in that time zone today, team. Where people, God says, look, enough of this nonsense. I'll just give, her what you, give you what you want. That's what he does to Ahab here. We need, we need to be careful and not step into that stuff. Now, Zedekiah, the son of that dude, overwhelmed by his lying fallen angel, went near and struck Micaiah on the cheek. Wow, that's pretty brazen. Hey, I guess that's what you do when you're busted and found out that you're a liar. So now he's just acting like a bully, seeking to deflect what's really going on here. And he said, hey, Micaiah, which way did the spirit from the Lord go? I wonder if this is still the lying spirit directing him or just him. Which way did the spirit from the Lord go for me to speak to you? And Micaiah said, indeed, you shall see on that day when you go into an inner chamber to hide. Wow. At least we know how he's going to die now. As Micaiah's prophecy you know, tells us how he's going to die. Verse 26. So the king of Israel said, Take Micaiah and return him to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, Thus says the king, Put this fellow in prison. Actually, if you read Chronicles, like I said, back in prison. And feed him with the bread of affliction and water of affliction. I'm sure that tastes good until I come in peace. So, so no, please notice, Ahab heard nothing that Micaiah spoke to him for his heart was cold to the truth. He didn't hear anything. The question is, is did Jehoshaphat hear anything? But Micaiah's not allowing lies to be the last word spoken to him. Look what he says. Uh, if you ever return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. Meaning, if I'm wrong, you must take me outside the camp and kill me for being a false prophet. Because that's what the law declared. So get your stones ready if I live. And he said, as Micaiah addresses all those in attendance, take heed, all you people. Ahab didn't want to hear. And so Micaiah's final words were, hey, take heed, all you people. People heed the warning that's been given. I mean, wouldn't you think Jehoshaphat, the godly king, would have heard this warning? I mean, 
certainly he's in the presence. They're, they're both sitting with their robes on in the, in the threshing floor by the gate. Prophecy was, was, was that they would lose. Who wants to go to a battle if you know you're going to lose? Hi, um, you're going to go to the job today and someone's going to show up and kill you. Oh, I, I think I'll just sh go to the job. I mean, that's crazy. The prophecy was that they would lose in all of Israel. The northern kingdom would be scattered without a shepherd. Certainly he should have been able to hear that. And the king of Israel, who I believe somewhere in his hard heart believes the words of Micaiah, said to Jehoshaphat, and that would be Jehoshaphat, I don't know how to make of this, the gullible trusting one it seems, either that a man of incredible faith, seeing that I have a bullseye on my back, Jehoshaphat, um, you know, I know what we'll do. Why don't I'll disguise myself and, and go into battle? You know, I'll just look like a normal soldier. But Jehoshaphat, why don't you put on your robes? And that way you'll look like the only king on the battlefield. So the king of Israel said, okay. <laughs> now, incredible faith or just trust in everybody. So the king of Israel disguised, disguised himself and went into battle. I mean, Ahab was a shrewd dude. I'll dress up as a common soldier so I can try and fool the enemy. And Well, why don't you just put your robes on? And either Ahab is feeding this man's flesh, Jehoshaphat has an extreme amount of faith, or Jehoshaphat is naive or lacking a little or something. I mean, everybody knows back in those days, if you can kill the commander of the army that's leading the battle, the, the troops will start to scatter. So Jehoshaphat, wanting to be the solo-looking captain of the forces, agrees, and off they go to battle. The problem I have with everything that has gone on so far is Jehoshaphat wanted a prophet that would tell him the truth. And he heard it. I mean, he got one. Remember those final words? Take heed, all you people. But he's not acting upon it. I mean, if this is what take heed looks like, I mean, Jehoshaphat needs some language school because take heed doesn't mean dress up in your robe as the only king in the battle and go out to battle. It's crazy. Verse 31, main point number five coming up. Now the king of Syria, remember the one Ahab had let go three years ago? Remember the, the Ahab, first, or the king of Syria first sent some people out there. They said, hey, the, those Israel kings are merciful, so why don't we find out if he's going to, yeah, so why don't you go out? The king said, go out and see if they're going to be merciful. And so they were. So the king comes out, Ahab lets them go. Well, that, that king don't remember that. Now the king of Syria had commanded the 32 captains of his chariot, saying, fight with no one small or great, but only with the king of Israel. Man, I wonder who spoke that word into his mouth. I can guarantee you it was the same lying spirit that was going to go there to take out Ahab. And so it was when the captains of the chariot saw Jehoshaphat that they said, surely it is the king of Israel. Like, duh, just like Ahab knew would happen. Therefore, they turned aside to fight against him, and Jehoshaphat cried out. Cried out what? To who? What did he say? Doesn't say. But. If you go look in the book of Chronicles, he cries out to the Lord. For we read there in the book of Chronicles, and he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord helped him, and God diverted them from him. And it happened when the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel that they turned back from pursuing him. 
So main point number five, awesome point number one in this chapter, like beyond awesome, that I'm so grateful to my Jesus for, and I'm sure you will be too, is when I find myself in stupid places that I should not be in, that I put myself in, the Lord will still rescue and deliver me because he loves me as one of his kids. That's what you see here. I mean, just think on that for a few hundred years. That when I find myself in stupid places that I put myself in that I should not be in, the Lord will still rescue me and deliver me because he loves me as one of his kids. Man, that will preach. And that's this picture. That's what's happening in the whole of this chapter. Jehoshaphat should not be going up north. He does. Nor should he have gone up in the battle. He does. And he sure, certainly should not have agreed to put on the royal robe. He does. And when you read the account of this battle in the book of Chronicles, it says the army surrounded him to attack him. So he must have been a heck of a chariot driver. If they're all, you know, it doesn't say they wanted, the king wanted to take him alive, but I don't know, maybe that somehow that, that's what he wanted. So they surrounded him. And even though he was in a place he should not have been, his Lord still came through for him big time, just like our Lord Jesus will for us. I, I hope you can see the picture. It's incredible. When you read the Hebrew words for, for God in the book of Chronicles, for this, this whole picture right here, you will see that Jehovah helped him and Elohim diverted them. Elohim, Elohim meaning more than one. So you got Jehovah, that's God Almighty. That's the supreme name of God that a good Jew would never even say. That's Almighty God helped him and Elohim, more than one, diverted them from him. Man, that's the Godhead. One plus more than one is how many? No, no, no. One plus more than one is how many? No. Who said the right number? Three. You have one plus more than one. So you got God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. One, it's in the nature of one God, you know, three distinct co-equal, co-eternal co persons. Well, you got it all happening here. I mean, it's a great picture of the Godhead working for those who love Jesus. Not three gods. One God, and within the nature of one God, you've got all of it. Go check it out in Chronicles. It's pretty amazing. Even though all of this is for someone who is in some place he shouldn't have been. God doesn't give up on him. Man, they'll preach. Verse 34, main point number six. Now a certain man drew a bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the joints of his armor. So he said to the driver of his chariot, turn around and take me out of the battle for I am wounded. How did that happen? Luck? Chance? Random selection? Just a certain man drew a bow at random? I mean, accidentally, out of the blue, the Hebrew word can mean innocence. A certain Syrian soldier innocently drew his bow and let it fly. It seems like he was had, having some random target practice, it seems. Well, how did all this happen? Easy. By the divine will of God. I'm pretty sure the soldier might not even have been, might even have been a little surprised that he hit the moving target. Wow, I hit that guy. Hit him on the run. But see, when you add in the written word of God, main point number six is God's word is always true, whether it's past, present, or something that's going to happen in the future. It's always true. God had said through the true prophet Micaiah that Ahab would die. Look back at verse 20. See it for yourself. He's going to die. I mean, you can run. You can hide. You can try and take on a different look by disguising yourself like someone else. 
But none of that prevents God from accomplishing his will. Just like we saw Sunday at the Great White Throne Judgment, there is no place for anybody to hide. It's all going to be laid out there. You can't hide from God. God's will was that Ahab was judged and that he must die. So that arrow became a divine arrow of truth and, and, and judgment on Ahab. It happened. The battle increased that day, verse 35, and the king was propped up in his chariot, facing the Syrians, you know, making it look like, hey, you guys are doing a great job out there. And meanwhile, he's dying the whole time. Yeah, you're doing a great job. Every once in a while, he'd give a little wave. And he's propped up in his chariot, facing the Syrians, you know, he's facing the battle line. But he died at evening. And the blood ran out from the wound onto the floor of his chariot. Interesting. Verse 36, main point number six again. Then as the sun was going down, a shout went out throughout the army. And I don't know, was it Israel? Was it Syria? Was it both of them? Probably. Saying every man to his city and every man to his own country. So the king died and was brought to Samaria and they buried the king in Samaria. Then someone washed the chariot at a pool in Samaria and the dogs licked up his blood while the harlots bathed according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken. If you back up for a reminder and look at 1 Kings chapter 20, verse 42, it says, Thus says the Lord, Because you have let slip out of your hand a man whom I appointed to utter destruction, therefore your life shall go for his life and your people for his people. So how is that possible? Well, simple. When you add in the written word of God, main point number six is God's word is always true, whether that be past, present or into the future it says what it means it means what it says god said it it had to happen you know i had a license plate frame on my big truck that said god said it i believe it that settles it but that biblically wasn't true because god's word is not subject to me as to whether or not i think it's true it should have read god said it that settles it i mean that's why we teach the bible that's why we encourage you to read it. God said it. That settles it. God's word isn't up to you and me to believe or, you know, it is. this isn't up to us. It's not up to us to believe that it's going to happen. Ahab didn't believe. Did the word of God come to pass? Of course it did. Ahab didn't believe the word that was spoken, but it still came to pass. And that's a good thing because it takes all the pressure, all of us, to try and come up with some formula that works. And that, that's where the hyperpentecostals get it all wrong. You and I, we just need to believe in Jesus. To believe in the one whom God, whom God has sent. Yeah, and when he says ask, ask. But it's him. He's the one. It's not us. We're the, we're the child. We're the sinner. It's not up to our believing to determine what is true. No, it's up to each one of us to own everything that God has written and preserved down through the ages in his holy word. And places where he says, ask, ask. Places where he says, hold firm, hold firm. It's not subject to our interpretation. It's just let it, let it lay out there. Verse 39. Now the rest of the acts of Ahab and all that he did, the ivory house, house which he built, wow, that had to have been pretty incredible. From the outside, it had to look pretty awesome. I wonder how many elephants he killed. So outside, it looked great, but inside, artificially, he was empty. He was false. And all the cities that he built, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Ahab rested with his fathers, and Ahaziah, his son, reigned in his place. 
So Ahab started bad, ended bad with one nice little spot of humility that we read of uh, last week. Verse 41, Jehoshaphat, the son of Asa, had become king over Judah, the southern two tribes, in the fourth year of Ahab, king of of Israel. So Jehoshaphat's alive and uh, Ahab's dead. Jehoshaphat was 35 years old when he became king, and he reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azuba, the daughter of Sheliai. And this is what we're looking for. And he walked in all the ways of his father Asa. And Asa walked in the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside from them, doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away. Now, that could be the high places where they offered incense to God, or it could be the high places where the their pagans worship. You know, that's kind of your pick. You know, I would think that he left the ones where they were still burning incense to God, but took down all the pagan ones, but no one really knows for certain. So the people offered sacrifice and burned incense on the high places. Also, Jehoshaphat made peace with the king of Israel. Yeah, we all know that, right? We just saw that. You know, his son married Ahab's daughter. And even though they were Jewish, you know, brothers, they had Jewish blood in them, one served God and the other did not. I just find it hard to believe that the Lord God was happy with this evil union here. Now, the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat, the might that he showed and how he made war, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? Yeah, they are. There's chapters devoted to Jehoshaphat. Seventy-six times his name shows up in the Old Testament. Plus, we find him in 2 Kings as well, where he does some repeats of his earlier failures, failures, but We'll look at that, but this time around, he'll do repeats of his failures with Ahab's son. And the rest of the perverted persons who remained in the days of his father, Asa, he banished from the land. Those are homosexual, specifically male temple prostitutes. You know, they banished him. You know, when we had a local paper that came out every week, I felt really sorry for those that would write into the opinion section saying that as God-fearing Christians, that they have no problem with the homosexual agenda being promoted in our town. I mean, those people, no matter how Christian they think they are, are being deceived beyond belief. And here's why. Love them? Absolutely. Everybody. Tell them the truth? Absolutely. Everybody. We must. But to ignore them, to ignore any sinner, and say, hey, God's okay with you. Just continue in your sin. You don't need to turn to God. You're great. To ignore them? and tell them that God's okay with them, then that's like telling a liar that says he believes on the outside, but he has no desire to walk with Jesus on the inside. Tell him, hey, you're okay. Man, God will give you a pass. No, God gives nobody a pass that way. We'll see it on Sunday in Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. It says, and all liars shall have their place in the lake of fire. Well, we all, we've all told a lie. Yeah, but that's not what the word means. It means those who live one way on the outside and one way on the inside. We'll talk about it on Sunday. You you wouldn't go up to them and say, well, you're okay. Hey, yeah, just, hey, shooting heroin, killing people. Yeah, you, if you go to church, yeah, you're great. Who would say that? We wouldn't. Well, then why would we say anything differently to any other sinners? We shouldn't. We shouldn't give them a pass. We shouldn't give them a pass just because they might not, they might misunderstand us. No, no, no. We want to tell people the truth. That's what we're in the business of. Just don't make their sin the issue. And the, you know, it's 
Sin is sin. Doesn't matter what it is. Verse 47. Then there was no king in Edom, only a deputy of the king. I mean, how random is that? Just kind of stuck in here, but here's what you need to understand. There's no king there because Edom was obviously under Jewish rule at the time, which is why that's placed in there. Verse 48. Jehoshaphat made merchant ships to go to offer for gold, but they never sailed for the ships were wrecked at Ezi and Geber, which just so happens to be, if you look back in verse 47, in Edom territory. So that's why it's placed in here. Then Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, Hey, let's join together and let my servants go with your servants in the ships. But, please notice what it says, Jehoshaphat would not. Who said you don't get smarter when you get older? <laughs> Jehoshaphat learned this lesson from his previous encounter with Ahaziah's father Ahab. No, we're not doing that one. And Jehoshaphat rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father. Then Jerome, his son, reigned in his place. Yeah, he's a doozy. And, and, and remember who his wife is? The daughter of Jezebel. Wow, I wonder if she's corrupted him. Uh, Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel in Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and reigned two years over Israel. No wonder why. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. No surprise there. And he walked in the way of his father, in the way of his mother Jezebel, in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. For he served Baal and worshipped him and provoked the Lord God of Israel to anger, according to all that his father had done. There's interesting things in here, but the thing I want to make sure we all walk away with, one thing is, that when you find yourself in places that you can't believe you got there, you need to look up and allow the Lord to move you out, back into where you need to be. He never writes us off, because we're his kids. Secondly, look at the, the last, the third to the last word here in this chapter, the word father. According to all that his father had done, fathers, you got to underline the word father here. You and I have great opportunity to instill godly principles into our kids. But it's this, according to all that his father done, and that is where we all must be found, is instilling godly opportunities into our kids. Because if you choose not to walk it right like Ahab did, well, the outcome will be real obvious as we head into Second Kings. And yet we have such tremendous opportunity to live it out right to impact our kids. The amazing thing about Ahaziah's life is the same as his father's. They both had a good example of Jehoshaphat down south as to what godliness should look like, but they just both chose not to walk after it. They instead chose to seek the ungodly lust of the gods of the world that they were serving instead of the God of the creation. But they had an example down south. You know, may we, all reserve, may we all resolve and purpose in our hearts to be more different from the world this year than we were last year. I mean, we've got to purpose something in our hearts for this year, whatever that would be. We all know who holds the future. We know that. We may not know what lies ahead, but we know who holds the future. So we want to learn from the scriptures as we go through them this year. And don't just hear them. No, we want to hear them and live them. And we want to allow the scriptures to live through us. There's great things, great pictures in here. 
that we can allow to live through us. Father, we're thankful for all that you want to do, all that you want to accomplish in our lives, Lord, in this coming year. Lord, as we grind out the last 10 months,